Well, she couldn't understand why she couldn't get any calls, but she uh, had the mute switch on, and, um, you know, it's not going to work. Oh, oh my gosh, are we live? Sorry. And now, join Chet and Gary with Apple Products, The Senior Angle. Good morning, Chet. We're back at it again this morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Gary. I had a really nice, calm weekend. Uh, didn't do a whole lot. Well, I shouldn't say that, but anyway. No fireworks for you? Fireworks. What are those? Fireworks? <laughs> Was that those big bangs? That's a big bang. Yes, okay. <laughs> well, today uh, we're going to talk a little bit about passwords. It seems like no matter uh, what situation we're in at our help sessions, whether we're uh, dealing with emails or Apple IDs, invariably we're going to run into some folks that have uh, forgotten their passwords or they can't locate them. They've written them down, but they can't find them. Or... So this all goes back to uh, just what has the evolution of passwords. It seemed like we didn't have to... Uh, even worry about passwords in the past, but they're now they're such a big issue. Uh, what's your opinion of that? I, I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, I was thinking about uh, that, that same subject and, and beginning to realize that people who are, and I, I'm going to say over the age of 60, uh, when we did things in the past, it was face to face. When you wanted to, to buy something or turn on a service, you went to a center where there were employees, you talked to the employee face-to-face. If they wanted proof that you were who you said you were, that they asked you to see your driver's license or some other kind of identification that proved who you were. The thing that's happened, though, over the last, uh, oh, I don't know, what 20 years or so, is computers took over more and more and more, and particularly with the pandemic and the fact that uh, we've kind of gotten isolated uh, in our homes and so forth over that, we've gotten to the point where we're using online computing services far more. There isn't a human being on the other end of that circuit that you're talking to. So we needed some way to identify ourselves and prove ourselves to the, the system, basically, we're talking to, the computer code we were talking to. And unfortunately, the best way to do that is the password. You know, we look at uh, some of the systems, uh, Apple's done this, and some of the Android phones are doing it now, too, with uh, the uh, human factors uh, type stuff, your uh, fingerprints or your face ID and those are great for the physical device, but the remote service isn't the physical device. It's at the other end of a long connection, and you need to make sure it's really the, the right person sitting at the desk dealing with it. So I think that's what's really going on there is, is the fact that all of a sudden we're not talking to people anymore. Well, Chad, you know, another scenario that I, I think uh, comes to play here is like uh, a lot of people maybe get Christmas presents of iPhones or iPads, and they take them into their different service, their uh, their provider, whether it be uh, Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, whatever. And since they forgot their passwords, then the employees at the uh, the provider, they set it up for them using their own passwords, and they do it so fast that uh, the uh, the consumer, they the 
our members, they don't remember what, how it was set up or what the passwords are. Um, do you find that's an issue? Yes, uh, absolutely. I have a lot of people that come into the help labs and saying that they, they got a new iPad, they got a new iPhone, and uh, the person in the store set it up for them, and they say, okay, what's the password? And the answer is, well, they never gave me a password. I have no idea what the password is. How am I supposed to know what the password is? And uh, they, they, uh, the store employees just fly through this so fast, and, and once you're familiar with how to do it, you can do that, uh, that it is a problem. And I think that one of the things that uh, we seniors need to remember is the fact that we have a responsibility to know those passwords. If the person that is assisting us is going too fast and you don't know that password, stop them. That password is your authority to do something. And if you don't have that password, you have no authority. You basically have a brick that you can't do anything with. And it's your responsibility to know what that password is. Uh, the other side of that coin is that there's a responsibility on your part if you already have an account and you take the information about that account, including its current password with you when you go to have it set up. For example, with an iPhone or an iPad, you want to log it into your Apple account for iCloud services. So you need to know your Apple account uh, username. You need to know the password for your Apple account. And if you had two-factor authentication turned on, you need to have a device with you that can uh, be used to, to satisfy the two-factor authentication. Otherwise, the person trying to set it up can't set it up for you. That, that is an issue. Well, that is an interesting observation that, uh, you know, it's not only passwords that the, uh, the, you have to know your user ID, IDs also. So um, if you have a different user ID for each application that you're trying to create a password for, you have to remember that also. But getting back to passwords, I, I believe there's two types of passwords. Do you want to cover that? Yeah, uh, let me talk about that a little bit because the, uh, the idea of a password, uh, and Apple actually is helping a little bit with iPhones and iPads because they call one of them a passcode and the other one a password to differentiate between the two. Uh, the, the thing that we're looking at here is you have a physical device and we want to protect the physical device. So if somebody were to steal your device or gain access to it without your permission, they would not be able to read what is on your device. That's really this thing that Apple calls a passcode. Uh, think about it like the front door key to your house, that until you unlock your front door, nobody knows whether you have anything to steal. Once they get through your front door, then they can look and see what's in there. The other side of this is that on things like iPhones and uh, iPads, and even on MacBooks and iMacs now, uh, we're seeing more and more things where the activity is not stored or doesn't really happen on the device. The device becomes an access port to a remote service. And a remote service, you really have to think about and what it is. It's a physical computer located in a physical building someplace in the world that you access through the Internet. We have no idea where it is, but it is a physical device. And there are two pieces of information that are required for you to use that service. The reason for that is there are literally billions of people in the world who can take advantage of these services. You take a look at something like Google and, and Gmail, and billions of people use Gmail. So they need to know who you are, that's your user identifier, 
and they need to know that it's really you. So when you send your user identifier to the remote service, remote service comes back and says, oh, fantastic, Gary, you're a great customer, glad to see you come back again, how's it going? And they says, how do we know it's you, Gary? Give us that secret word that we agreed to, that thing we called a password, that when you set your account up, we established. And if you know that, then I'm gonna assume it's really you on the other end of the circuit, and we can go on. So again, the, the password is a, the answer to a security challenge, and it grants you the authority to do things within that application. So again, you got passcodes controlling access to the physical hardware, and you have passwords granting you access to remote services. Okay, so going back to the very beginning, where do passwords come from? Oh, that's a great question. Passwords are created by the application user, by the person who is trying to use the device. The first time that you go in and set something up and identify yourself to a service, you uh, give it a user name that you want to be known by. Very often now that is in your email address and you're using your email address as your user identifier. And then once you've done that, the application or the service will ask you for a password and you will type in the password, you make the password up at that point in time. You type it in and usually they will ask you to verify it by typing it in a second time uh, because you don't see it on your screen when you're typing or when you're touching it in on an iPhone or an iPad, you see a, a row of dots. Uh, that's so that somebody can't read it over your shoulder as you're typing it in and the two versions have to agree. But you as a user create it. One of the things that I strongly recommend to people is that you write the password down on paper first. Passcodes also, if you're gonna set a six-digit numeric passcode on your iPhone or your iPad, write it on paper first. And that's uh, based on an experience I had where I had to change a password in a hurry on something, I changed it and the phone rang, and before I wrote it down, I forgot what it was. Uh, because I got interrupted by the phone call. So write it down first, and then once it's down on paper, then you can go ahead and put it in. Chet, I know at one of your presentations, you gave a very helpful uh, method on creating passwords. Do you want to cover that? Sure, we can go ahead and talk about that. And, and there's actually two things that I recommend to people. Uh, one of them is an approach that I like to use personally, and that is instead of taking a bunch of random characters that you have a terrible time remembering, um, I will pick a phrase of words. And one of the things I recommend to people is they go back and think about in their past. And was there some terrible slogan that all the kids in grade school caused you that, called you that you really hated that you can remember that for a million years? You know, it's just something so ingrained in your brain, you will never forget that at all. Uh, and so anyway, uh, if you got something like that, three or four words long, you can use that for a password. And the interesting thing about that is that's so deeply ingrained in your memory that you never forget that phrase. You just don't want to use something like cow jumped over the moon that's very common to the, the rest of the world. Uh, you can go through and easily capitalize. Most passwords want at least one capital letter, so you can capitalize anything in that phrase you want, the beginning of any word. Sometimes they want a number, so you can take something like a letter I or letter O and change them to the number one or the number zero, and that takes care of that requirement. If you need to have a punctuation character in there, you can stick an ampersand in or a pound sign at the end or anything like that satisfy it. 
But if it's a phrase that's so deep in your memory you don't forget it, that takes care of that whole problem. The other thing that we have is Forbes uh, actually had an article by Kevin Moraine, I think his name is, uh, M-U-R-N-A-N-E. Uh, this is uh, several years old now. But he said that one of the biggest problems that he'd seen with remembering passwords is that there was no pattern to them. So he recommended a pattern, and the pattern would be the same for every password you create, but every password is unique. What he recommended was that you have a sequence of alphabetic characters, primarily four characters. You pick four characters. Don't tell anybody those, but those four characters start every password you have. They all start with the same four characters. Capitalize one of those characters to take care of this requirement for a capital and lowercase combination. Following the four letters, pick four numbers. Any four numbers you want. Don't tell anybody what those are because every password you create will have those phone numbers. So the first eight characters of every one of your passwords will be the same. The same four letters, the same four numbers. Then he recommends two characters, and I think two or three uh, you should think about here. These are different on every password, and it's a an abbreviation for the service that this password is for. So if you had a service for Gmail, for example, for your email account, you might put GM in, or you might put MAI or something like that, whatever was meaningful to you. His recommendation was put down the first thing you think of when you see that name. And that becomes the only thing that's different on your passwords. Now, following this, a lot of passwords have a requirement for punctuation characters. So he said, how do you get the punctuation characters? Well, he said, hold the shift key down and retype the numbers. And that gives you the punctuation characters. And you wind up with something that's about 14 or 15 characters long, which is a nice long password. It looks completely random. But in actual fact, uh, it has it follows this pattern. And as long as you don't tell somebody what those eight, first eight characters are, you're fine. You know, all your passwords are like that, and it's really great. That's pretty slick, uh, holding your uh, just the shift key down and using numbers to get the special characters. To get the yeah. special characters. Yeah, yeah I, I thought that that's really a, a brilliant way to yes. do it. Yes. I know a couple of people who have tried it, and it's actually worked for them. Uh, I don't know that anybody's using it extensively, but I thought that was a pretty good approach. That's pretty also. cool. Okay, Chet, so we've uh, created a, a really good, strong password using your um, suggestions there. So now, how do you suggest we store those passwords? Well, one of the things that I find is that there, there are several approaches that you can take. One of them is you can buy a piece of software, run the software on your devices. Uh, one password is one of those. Uh, LastPass is another one of those that are popular on Apple systems. They use a, an internal vault that is encrypted uh, very strongly so that uh, you can store your safe, uh, passwords safely in it. They do a lot of password management for you. Uh, there's a danger to them, though. If you ever forget the master password to the vault, you are in serious trouble. Uh, you've lost everything. The other thing, though, is a lot of people like to keep them on paper. And I've seen people with little notebooks and things like that, and those turn out to be very problematic. Uh, they fill the pages up with things, and then the page gets filled, and you start seeing arrows over to another page, and you have duplicate passwords on multiple pages, and you don't know what's current and so forth. So what we found in the past uh, that works very nicely is a deck of 3x5 index cards. You have a separate, use a separate card for each one of the services. 
You put the title of the service at the top of the card. You put your username or your, your user ID on that card. You put the current password, and you can even put the date when you set that password on there. So if you change it, you know when you changed it. There's plenty of room on a 3x5 card if you have to answer security questions to be able to answer the security questions and keep those answers because you also need to know with security questions exactly how you type something, uppercase and lowercase and so forth. And then you have a separate card for each of those. And one of the big benefits there is that if you make changes to that account and have to update the card, you can actually afford to rewrite one card. Where with a book, you usually can't afford to rewrite a page in the book, and the book just gets messier and messier and messier. Now, the other problem with passwords and things that we have to do with those is we're the first generation to encounter the problem where at some point in the future, somebody's going to have to clean up our affairs. And again, this isn't something where you can go talk person to person to somebody to do it. You're going to have to do it through the computer. So we have a responsibility to keep our current accounts and our passwords for those accounts legible and up to date so whoever has to handle our affairs can take care of that. Apple's moving in the right direction. They just added to their operating systems uh, with their latest release here something called Legacy Contact. And they now allow you to define a legacy contact that can have access to your Apple account uh, following your death. Uh, I'm not going to go into how to do all of that. You can actually see it online if you go on and, and do it, uh, look at it yourself. Um, that's going to take a lot more discussion time than we have right now. But that is something that Apple's doing to help move in this direction. But we do have this responsibility to make sure that we have this information down that other people can see. All right, Chet, there's another feature that's, that's came up that that's, was recently um, introduced. It's called Hide My Email. And I feel like with all the, um, the spam that we're getting and when you have to sign up for any kind of service or any kind of um, retailer that wants your email address, this feature might come in very handy. So would you like to explain a little bit? Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about it. Again, I'm not going to get into all the details of how to do it. That's a longer discussion we have time for. But what the idea is is Apple gives you the way to create an alternate email address. We used to call these alias addresses in the past. Uh, but basically, Apple will generate a fictitious email address for you as an alternate email address. That will be sent to the merchant or put in on the website that you're uh, where you're registering for something so that that person never has your real email address. Now, the advantage of this is you can use that like a real address. You can give that out to people. But if you start getting a lot of advertising coming back through it, if that somehow gets out in the wild and everybody says, oh, that's the way to get in touch with Gary, use that address, uh, what you can do is simply go in and block that address and stop using it because you haven't affected your real address. Your re real address is still there. It can be used by your friends and so forth. So that's what that's all about, hide my email. Uh, that requires that you have an iCloud Plus account. That means that you are paying for an Apple service in addition to just storing things in your basic 5 gigahertz of storage at iCloud. So if you've got, bought a, extra storage or if you've got an uh, Apple Music account or something like that, they call it, then they change your account to an iCloud Plus and you can have hide my email going on. Chet, lastly, I want to go into something that's uh, been reported in the news with uh, a new device that Apple released within the last six months called AirTags. 
And unfortunately, it seems like they're, you know, no matter what you do online or not even online, there's always uh, people out there less than honest that mm-hmm. want to get either your identification, your location, anything they can from you. So do you want to go over a little bit what they found out recently about the air tags? Well, one of the things that has always been a concern, and, and this started showing up very shortly after the air tags were released, is what would happen, and, and what an air tag is for those of you that don't know, I guess I better say that before we go on. Uh, the air tag is about a quarter-sized little disc that uh, has a battery in it, and you can put in a purse or in a backpack or along with a piece of equipment, and you can find that using the Find My feature on your iPhone or your iPad or on your Mac, and that will show you where your AirTag is. So if you ever leave something behind, it can tell you. It can also tell you if you're walking away and leaving a purse or a backpack uh, in the corner someplace, it will tell you that it's no longer with you so you can go find it. Well, the concern it came up with, what would happen if I took an AirTag that belonged to me and slipped it in your back pocket? Could I trace where you go? And the answer is technically yes. So the question was, well, what do we do about this? And it was kind of a, a theoretical question when they first came out. But then in the news, within the last couple of weeks, I saw a story about uh, Atlanta residents finding these on their cars and uh, they identifying them. What Apple did to make it possible for you to find them is your iPhone, if it sees that there is an AirTag that is not registered to your Apple account, that stays in close proximity to you for a period of time, it will come up and give you a message that it sees a foreign AirTag following you around and will help you find that AirTag wherever it's been stuffed. Now, I was really surprised in the article that uh, showed up uh, about the thing going on in Atlanta is apparently it is not against the law there to put a GPS tracker on a vehicle as long as you don't put it inside the vehicle. But you can put it in where the gas tank is or under the fender or inside the, uh, you know, the bumper or anything like that. Uh, but if, if you find one of these, if, if this happens to you, a couple of things should occur. One of them is you probably should call the police and let them know about it. Whether they take a report or not is something else, but uh, call the police and let them know about it. Then what you can do to stop it is the top twists off these very easily, and inside is the battery. Just twist the top off and take the battery out, and that ends it. It can't track you any longer. Uh, so this is just kind of something that showed up recently, and it, it kind of goes along with all the, the security stuff. So I think it's a good idea for people to realize this can be happening now and that there is an easy way to fix it, take the battery out, and it just stops. Well, that about does it for today, Chet. Thank you so much again for joining us today and giving us all this uh, a wealth of information about passwords and some of the additional um, features that Apple has come out with, with the in the last month or so. Well, with that, I hope to have you join us next week for Apple Products, The Senior Angle. All right, I will see you then.